All jokes during the monologue are completely fictitious unless actually real, stated by the acclaimed sources. In a startling and strange and completely hidden from the public before an eventual reveal, Scooby-Doo screenwriter at the time, James Gunn, who looks like a Harley Davidson biker that lost 200 pounds and started working at an Adidas store, and director Raja Gosnell, who looks like that English teacher that never wanted to to give you an A on your reading assignment, of the 2002 live-action take stated that originally there was, in fact, a lesbian kissing scripted into the film that was caught, so that the film wasn't at all referencing sex or referencing sex in a secretive way, why also in a way that absolutely nobody would want it referenced unless they were hiding from the police in a Cleveland motel room that was most likely haunted ever since the 1950s. Of course, people in Hollywood are liking to say that it wasn't at all about sexualizing Scooby-Doo, because sexualizing Scooby-Doo would be wrong on every level, except for the fact that it's Hollywood, and Hollywood doesn't care, because Scooby-Doo apparently to them looks similar to something that an entire frat house would look up if they were smoking the magic dragon, procrastinating on their studies, going on sites that they shouldn't be going on, and that Scooby-Doo has two female characters in it. And well, why not, I guess? Especially when 90% of everyone in Hollywood would be hiding from police in a Cleveland motel room if it weren't for the fact that they were too busy making every cartoon into a live-action film while sipping on alcoholic beverages made out of golden chalices that they pass around like a cult in the dark ages of England or just in the back room of a director's lounge that Harvey Weinstein used to be in, which is basically the same thing now Come to think of it, at least the part of the Dark Ages where everyone was dying of an unknown illness, which today is obviously Hollywood. In other news, Ezra Miller, of course, for some reason, has been recast as The Flash, while the F Flash movie is delayed, not because he ran an illicit sex cult, but because it would be a bad idea to start the whole new DCEU idea that James Gunaway with The Flash as the first movie. And because Ezra Miller ran an illicit sex cult, mirroring every historical cult practice, including New Age horrors of total depravity, and Hollywood wants you to forget about it while they're drinking alcoholic beverages, mostly consisting of high-end alcohol, while you, on the other hand, are sipping Bud Light, while you watch football and sip it out of a golden chalice, or just a normal bottle of Bud Light that you drunkenly hallucinated was a golden chalice, because you're someone who drinks but light for some reason. Of course, after all this discussion, we can be eternally grateful that Harvey Weinstein was not directing this movie instead of Gunn, because if he was, he probably would have cast Kevin Spacey in the role of Freddy instead of Freddy Prince Jr., which would probably have caused every fraternity house to not get any work done, become more ashamed of themselves, and in which the entire world would possibly fly off its normal trajectory, which would then cause it to fly directly into the sun, which was in fact the whole point of Kevin Spacey getting cast in American Beauty, and American Beauty being a movie to begin with, which was made during a governmental economic recession by the next year, which might have been the only reason why we didn't fly directly into the sun. Which if we flew directly into the sun, it would cause you to forget that Ezra Miller made a sex cult that everyone in Hollywood wants to openly, discreetly, and secretly forget about, but of course you didn't get hurled into the sun, which would cause you to openly and realistically continue to ask the question 
as to why Ezra Miller is still cast as The Flash. I'm Jonathan Deed. This is Jay's Exclusive Show. So obviously it's extremely important to bring to light the whole thing with Ezra Miller and of course startling reasons why he's still cast in Hollywood. In our media and film culture today we always have that potential to be brainwashed into thinking or at least at the very honest realization that Hollywood has attempted to brainwash all of us to think that perversion masked in the light of popularity just because one is popular outmatches the full entire reality that law and order should in fact be upheld even in the cases of supermodels, directors, actors, and actresses even when they're famous. Only a short mild 50 to 100 years ago the idea of getting famous due to the fact that you were in a sex tape that would later on grant you the ability to suddenly own three companies, shoot commercials for those companies, become a famous supermodel or actress while driving around in a Lamborghini all day was completely unheard of and gross people out in every way. And of course now that's one of the only reasons people become famous in an industry besides talent. All of society is then caused into believing that those details should be looked at as something to embrace, of course instead of something to reject. Now I truly think that one of the biggest reasons behind Miller's messed up downfall although I honestly did not see him as a good fit for The Flash to begin with, is the obvious therapy presence that he has been missing from his life due to being famous and, f- and completely in his career up to this point, and the reality that he clearly has been dabbling in the occult via with this whole sex cult ideology, which of course makes that the biggest of his problems going hand in hand with the abuse crimes and recent arrests. The large reality also is the fact that sexualities of those stars being in line with certain left-wing made-up ideologies instead of actual science is one of the reasons people in Hollywood have such horrible statuses of mental health, since the occult is all about destroying everything God made, perfect, perfectly, while destroying mental health and psychological functioning. But there's another aspect that people might not think of. If we remember all the way back to the filming of Perks of Being a Wallflower, Ezra played the character of Patrick, who by the novel was supposed to be a cross-dressing gay male. Now this of course can lead a viewer to think that perhaps due to Hollywood not caring about the well-being of actors and actresses such as himself, and really people in Hollywood to begin with in general, they have the potential and probability to assuredly have something to do with this eventual digression into starting a messed up sex cult and occult characteristics and borderline ancient Egyptian and Corinthian sexual ethics that of course aren't in fact ethical to begin with whatsoever. And this of course causes him to have a downward spiral and and this is really to begin with the honest opinionated reality and really shouldn't even be opinionated, it's it's honestly just reality, as to why all these actors and actresses keep getting addicted to alcohol. Because actually when you look into history, alcohol had a place in all of these other sexual ethical groups and occult groups to begin with. So we can also see 
a different aspect of how playing a character can cause psychological stresses for the actor and the actress involved, such as in Diego Unchained when DiCaprio say that he didn't enjoy filming the aspects where his character had to have racist lines because of the time period, and he stated it was extremely difficult to say the lines to begin with, although his co-stars all knew it was just simply part of the movie, and that was the only reason for it in the first place. And also, the psychological effects of the actors and actresses that played roles in the movie, such as Lone Survivor and American Sniper, were also pretty intense and insane. And of course, getting all that added up all together, if you put those two together and you align them with the same practices that Miller had been getting into alongside of his stressful roles in films, that, that would send them stressfully over the edge. It would completely throw them off the edge to add the practices of Miller in play. And if those were suddenly introduced, they'd surely send the stars and co-stars completely, completely off the cliff of normal. As Miller, of course, has gone, and as, and as so many other stars and co-stars have ended up going before them. Now lastly, on the point of Scooby-Doo and the whole entire gay scene. Childhood movies and shows from the 50s and up simply flat out should not be sexualized. A major statement that can be made, and should be made, is the reality that often when gay aspects are added to a random cartoon and live-action characters, regardless as to who those characters are, it does not add on to their character profile or portfolio, but it simply stands as a random aspect that doesn't better the storyline. It's really better to just simply have that aspect play a role, at the very absolute least, if it's always been there historically. Now, of course, this does not at all mean that if Disney suddenly decides to, you know, make Mickey Mouse homosexual know that the, no 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 that that should not be happening because obviously it's it's Mickey Mouse it's a cartoon character what I mean to say is that obviously if a character is homosexual to begin with and it's live action then it's probably fine as long as it's written into a book or historical However, in any sense, if it's cartoon, it just completely shouldn't be happening. Because it just adds a certain agenda onto kids' stories that should not be there. Because kids must be protected from aimless, explicit content that ends up where it doesn't belong. And obviously, homosexuality does not belong in cartoons, as they instantaneously and eventually lead to what is inappropriate for most audiences. Now let's get to some predictions in the music industry. But first, very quickly, do you have a podcast idea, but simply don't know how to go about it, or where to start? Look no further than the simplified podcasting goals and platforms of Anchor.fm. I use Anchor.fm myself to put my show out there, and it's extremely free and simple to join. All you need is your microphone, computer, recording box, and your email, and you can sign up for free and make a password, hopefully stronger than all your other passwords and different than all your other passwords. Simply click after logging on to the microphone or select a source outside of your microphone on your computer, and voila. 
you can create content following their guidelines, and you can even link your show directly to Spotify with the push of a single button and an RSS link will be sent directly to you. All you have to do is edit your audio and create the perfect listener's experience. Join today for free and start your podcast on Anchor.fm and Spotify for Podcasters. Now let's get to the rest of the show. Now we haven't actually done this before, but we're going to do this as often to hopefully get the new Punk Ghost Pop out there more quickly due to the fact that they basically they, they, they basically take forever to make them and it really should be it really should be sooner than two to five years. So if you're not affiliated with what punk goes pop is, there's punk goes pop, there's punk goes crunk, and there's punk goes eighties. So all of these, uh, all of these uh, music productions, is essentially where a genre is done in place of another genre. So a musical artist in a metal band will redo a song from the 80s and a rap song will be done by a hard rock band and vice versa. So it's pretty amazing. It's pretty awesome. It was started back in the early 90s, I believe, and continued. I, th I think they have 8, 9, or 10 albums out now, so they're probably working on an 11th very soon. So this comes to our predictions of what songs will hopefully be remixed in the metal version. So at number one, due to its popularity, I have the song Lemonade by Internet Money Don, whatever that means, and Toddler, or Don, not, no, Don Tolliver, Don Tolliver, I think, and Ronnie Rich. Now obviously, they're going to make this due to the fact that Lemonade was extremely popular, and it's actually a slight 4-4, so it's very easy to remix and cover with the metal song. I'm predicting that Seraphim, due to the fact that they're also really popular right now, will definitely make this an insane take and a super awesome track. That's probably going to be the first one in production. So at number two, and due to the fact that I normally don't swear myself, I'm just going to I'm just going to say it the other way. Uh, there's a song called Sexy Chick by David Guetta and Akon. So this song will probably get made late because it's just truly perfect and it has to go along with it. But of course, it, it it's really, really, it's a super old song and people hardly even play it on the radio anymore unless you're in every other state besides Michigan where I am for some reason. And it has a steady and stable melody making it easy to produce as a metal song as well. It was released back in 2010, but I think it's going to be perfect for this production, and it's definitely going to be on there. So on number three, I would say Come Get Her by Ray Shrimmer, because this one is just a classic as well. And it will eventually get made because it also was extremely popular. It was actually number 19 on the charts, and it... It just takes a while, of course, probably for Punk Goes Pop to get rights to that one because the production took so much time, so much effort, and, well, it was number 19 on the charts, so it'll take them a while, but that's definitely going to be number three. 
Now, in a close spot in number four, Dior by Pop Smoke, probably gonna say the remix version here, because Pop Smoke's popularity again goes into effect and it's and I was actually able to find a cover on YouTube, but it was it was simply crappy and it was very clearly a simple copy and paste into GarageBand type of thing. So it wasn't actually produced, I don't believe, and it hasn't been made yet. But I would say that this would be a next one at number four. And then fifth and last. The Way Life Goes, which is a song that was produced by the producers of Little Uzi Vert and Oh Wonder. Possibly the remix version again here with Nicki Minaj, but they'll probably do a cover. Um, probably do a cover uh, on the part where Nicki Minaj sings with probably a lead singer or a backup vocalist. I can think that probably the band to do this would probably be We Came As Romans due to their style to go super, super well with the original rap style of the song. Now, as we get into older rock songs, you'll have to kind of stick with me here because I don't, I don't really know a lot of old rock, uh, a lot of old rock songs. But the song Paradise City by Guns N' Roses, it's, it's most likely not going to be that one, but I can see them redoing another Guns N' Roses song. They redid one all the way back and punk goes classic rock or maybe punk goes 80s somewhere around there but I know they're definitely gonna do another Guns N' Roses it probably won't be the Paradise City one because Paradise City is a car game also that recently fell off the face of the earth around a decade or so ago, or so ago. maybe it was a little bit later than that even but that won't really do very it, it won't really be good for publicity so, and no one will really probably know what it is or remember it. So they probably won't do that one. And lastly, I, I can see that the song More Than I'm Feeling by Boston would probably be another cover here. If Forever the Sickest Kids decides to drop anything new or they decide to play, I can see them doing this. Of course, beforehand, Downtown Fiction was a very, very, very awesome band back in the day. I believe back in the early 2000s. But, of course, they're not still recording. They broke up in 2016, probably due to the fact that they just couldn't take politics anymore and they were that kind of caused them to spontaneously smash all their guitars and walk away. Or perhaps they just sort of gave up. But the only other band that I would see doing this would probably be The Cab. But then again, The Cab hasn't made anything for quite a while. So hopefully they get back into the music industry. And those are the predictions for Punko's Classic Rock and Punko's Pop. Now let's get to the trending section. So there's this trending theory uh, all over the internet. And it's called the one and only theory. And basically the simple concept is that Earth is the only one and only planet to contain life. And obviously this is uh, probably the Christian ideology, the Catholic ideology, and a lot of other religions' ideology. I do think that the idea here is most accurate. Of course, not when it comes uh, to the afterlife, but that's a whole different question. 
I would say yes, this is the only place we can support life, since every other planet we found doesn't have a good basis of life support, and the fact that if we did come into contact with other life on other planets, I would assume that it's probably just going to be a higher likelihood chance that they would have all this disorder and disarray, and they'd probably try to, you know, overtake us as the classic movies predict in Independence Day and others. Of course, you'd also have to take into account the reality that, and this is a proof of God, uh, but on the fact that the Earth supports life in every conceivable way, the other planets, not only while having a, a big trouble and a big trying issue doing that, there's also the whole notion that the creatures would have to breathe poisonous gases. I'm not really sure how that would work. Because, of course, everything we know breathes either water converted into oxygen or, well, simply oxygen that isn't toxic, explosive material. So the, so the next one... <laughs> there's this whole thing right now where this whole thought process of where ice is water seasoning. <laughs> there were several things all over the internet about this. and it's Like, what? Why? Why do you have to do that? Obviously, no, I don't think so. Especially since, you know, the obvious fact that salt doesn't work in water. It makes it salty and undrinkable. It messes with the water and the way it responds to the body when you drink it. And I kind of got to say here that there's no real point in metaphorically saying this, since seasoning is literal, not metaphorical. And it would kind of, you know, stop saying it would kind of stop people from going crazy. And, and, and really, <laughs> they're, they're the same elements. It's just that one is frozen and the other isn't. It's the same element. See, this is why weed should be illegal. I really think that. <laughs> Stay tuned to the show for guest experiences and guest appearances. I just said that wrong. Anyways, stay tuned for the show for guest appearances and the Anonymous Hour, where I will have special guests giving their takes on film, media, lifestyle, and their passions year-round. In the Anonymous Hour, I will meet with an anonymous guest, and he or she will share the thrilling acknowledgments and stories and tips of their trade both thrilling, dangerous, and spectacular. The first Anonymous Hour will happen soon, where I will release the episode in the next couple of weeks. Also tune in this coming Sunday, when I will have an amazing discussion with the one and only Tarek Fryer, who is an amazing representation of commitment and dedication as he discusses the, lang the trade of sign language and deaf interpretation. Now let's get to the weekly cut. Today we're going to have to cut the concept that claymation needs a large amount of FX special effects and animation special effects due to the fact that the end result looks like it would be trying to haunt the dreams of everyone who views it instead of telling a story. Now the majority of people who would disagree would mainly say that you should use special effects like the same effects used in horror movies because it makes you have more progress more quickly course except for the fact that it's used in horror movies and it makes the end result look like something 
that someone, if they viewed it, would spontaneously cause a fire to wreck your living room. The end goal of the old comic cartoons back in the 50s and above were actually not to be creepy in most ways, and they were just simply done by using the method of stop motion and by means of step-by-step drawings in stop motion that would have the character move in a certain detail in a certain way as each page was turned. So, no joke, I would rather simply go back to that half the time, or more than half the time. Today's claymation simply looks like a demon made it from scratch with the help of an AI on drugs before giving it to humans to ruin their lives. And, of course, Caroline, uh, Caroline is just one example of that. Either that, or they could simply go back to the way things were to normal claymation. The type of normal claymation that involves clay models and shooting before reshooting a scene, before reshooting the next scene, instead of something that will haunt your childhood and adulthood for the rest of forever. Now, of course, Halloweeny, which I can't even believe they have that as the title, is yet another example that totally probably got intensely laughed at the first time that title was brought up before everybody went to a baseball game and decided on hot dogs, which would cause them to choose that title and forget that the special effects were too horrifying to be called Frankenweenie. Anyways, I can't believe I said the title as much as I did in FX special effects with claymation versus the way it was done before is in fact cut. And that will do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Stay safe and have a great week now.